0: Welcome to the ninth episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Today we have an interview with Seth Harwood, author of the newly released crime novel, Jack Wakes Up. So welcome to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Today my guest is Seth Harwood, the author of Jack Wakes Up, a crime novel that has just been published by Three Rivers Press. Seth, thanks for doing the interview.
1: Thanks for having me on, Jeff. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Cool. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. So as I mentioned, your crime novel, Jack Wakes Up, has just been published by Three Rivers Press. But if someone hasn't heard of you, your path to publication hasn't been the typical one you originally wrote and recorded an audio version of Jack wakes up, which you distributed as a podcaster audio book. I'm curious though, did you submit Jack wakes up to literary agents and publishers before you created the podcast or, and was the podcast a response to rejections you had received? I wonder if you could just walk us through the whole process about how you created the podcast and what was the reasoning behind it?
1: Yeah. Um, so I started trying I started out trying to go the traditional route. I went to grad school and got an m f a in creative writing from the Iowa Writers' Workshop, which was like the number one place to go um which was and that was after sort of trying to write some novels on my own and then taking classes and writing short stories for a while. uh After I got out of Iowa, I was looking to publish a collection of short stories. I'd gotten about a dozen short stories published in the literary journals, mm-hmm. which is it's, is truly the traditional route. You go out and you do your submissions to those guys, and you get like one percent acceptance and a ton of rejections. And I did that for a couple of years, and then everyone was telling me that I needed to have a novel, and then I couldn't do much with the short story collection. So I started writing a novel, and i it took a couple of takes before I really stumbled upon. The excitement that became writing Jack Wakes Up. I mean, coming out of Iowa, it took me a little while to get to the point where I was comfortable writing in the crime genre and really mm-hmm. sort of opening the doors to having fun with it and going beyond just my literary influences to incorporate movies and TV shows and stuff, things that I've always loved. Sure. Um. And then I finished Jack Wakes Up. I started submitting it to agents and two agents right off the bat who I was connected to through friends from Iowa both wanted to see the full manuscript, got the full manuscript, took some time to look at it, and then one of them sort of didn't know what to do, and the other one wanted recommended some revisions. And so we spent some time talking about the revisions. I went back and spent about three or four months working on these revisions and then sent him the book back and basically – Never heard from him again. Not even, no, I don't like this, or no, we should, we're not going to work together. Just like, ne- just like he dropped off the face of the earth and his secretary would, like, dodge me whenever I called. So it, I, uh. I just thought that was really frustrating. And the whole agent process, having submitted to agents a lot over the years, I felt like it was frustrating. And really, with just ending up in the slush pile, I knew that there had to be a better way to do this. I had had a story published online... And for a long time, I didn't want to publish online because I thought it didn't seem like a good enough resume builder as publishing with these literary journals. But the fact was, with publishing a story online, a lot more people were able to read it. I was able to send it out to people that I knew, and they were able to read it and comment back and give me feedback about it. Um, It was free. It was completely obtainable. People didn't have to search for some weird magazine that was out in one bookstore in Kentucky or Texas or put all (laughs) this trouble in to read it. You know, I was working really hard to get these stories out, and then I was never hearing back from them. So when I got this story published in an online journal, and people started giving me feedback about it and reading it, and it was sort of climbing up the charts on that journal, I felt like, this is great. You know, there's a medium here where people are actually reading. And I had this crime novel that I thought was ready to go out. I'd spent about six months working on it. I thought that having gone through about four or five drafts, it was ready to do something beyond just go back and keep revising it to send it out to agents. The agent submission process as endgame just wasn't working out for me. You know what I'm saying? Sure, sure, definitely. I, I, I felt like, you know, the idea of going back to square one with agent submissions again just wasn't where I was with that novel. So, you know, I saw that there was an opportunity to get some publicity for my writing on the web, get people checking it out, and I just didn't feel like putting a novel on the web as text was going to be the best way to get it. I didn't I, I knew that maybe a short story you could get people to read on the web, but I thought a novel was going to be really tough. And so a friend of mine suggested to me podiobooks.com and that these people were recording their books as serialized podcasts and releasing them as free audiobooks. And as soon as I heard that, something clicked where I thought, you know, this is the right way to do it. People can listen to this audio free. I was a long-time book-on-CD listener in the car during my commute, and so it felt like that was the way to do it. And I started putting out Jack Wakes Up, sort of learned the technology of podcasting as I went, and by the time I finished finished podcasting the first book, it was about 20 episodes, uh, I had several thousand listeners.
0: Right. And what was that process like for you? Had you ever done any audio before, like college radio station or anything along those lines? Or was it basically you bought a mic and sat down one day? Uh, It was
1: both. I had a radio station and I had a radio show in college. I used to spin hip hop, which is kind of like with the Jack Wakes Up. You know, I bring in some hip hop tracks on the the readings and the episodes. Um, And then, so I had had a radio station show in college. And then with the short stories, I found myself doing readings at literary events and bars and, um, you know, different venues. And I always felt like that was something that I enjoyed reading the short stories out loud. Mm -hmm. Um, but I knew that you couldn't just do that for a novel until I found this episodic way of doing it serializing. And so, yeah, I'd had experience with that, but I had no experience with doing audio on a computer. I was brand new to what a podcast was and didn't know how to do it, and I had just bought a MacBook and I started using iWeb to make my own website, which I really didn't know much about, and I just sort of threw myself in, and luckily, I stumbled upon Scott Sigler, who was me, learned some of the sort of fundamentals about how to make a podcast and how to structure an episode, and I just kind of learned on the fly. It was pretty exciting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and so what was the process like? Um, did you start getting gradual feedback? Did you, do, um, did you do work on your own to try to get the word out and, and have people link to the site? What was that process to, to kind of build your audience?
1: Well, I connected with Scott and he ran promos for me. And back then, this was about spring of 2006, patiobooks.com was a bit smaller so being on the front page at patiobooks.com, I was on there pretty consistently. And so people were able to see me through that. And through Scott's promo and a couple of promos on other podcasts and Patiobooks, people were able to find out what I was doing. I wasn't doing science fiction and fantasy, which made me different from a lot of what the other people were doing. But, um, you know, I think people were excited to try crime fiction and listen to it in this space. And, and I and- think they responded to to what I was putting out. They liked it. And uh, things just kind of went from there.
0: And then in terms of you having the, the new book, Jack Wakes Up, uh, published by Three Rivers Press, wasn't there an interim where you had a book deal with, with a, a smaller publisher that kind of got the attention of Three Rivers? wonder if you could kind of talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I to go into podcasting was because I thought it would give me a better agent cover letter. Going back to your first question, I thought if I could tell an agent, you know, I've got a thousand, couple thousand listeners here who want to buy the book, then that would get an agent's attention and they would be more interested in in representing me. But they never really understood what I was doing or what podcasts were or believed that I had those listeners. And so I was able to connect with a guy named Jeremy Robinson who was running a small print-on-demand press called Breakneck Books. And he knew from working with Scott Sigler and I that I had that audience and that they did want to buy the book and that we could sell some copies. So he was willing to publish, Breakneck, publish Jack Wakes Up under Breakneck Books. And we basically did a campaign to get everyone to buy, all of my listeners to buy Jack Wakes Up on the day that it came out on Amazon. And so we did that last year on Palm Sunday. The main character in the book is Jack Palms, I should mention. And we took Palm Sunday, March 16th last year, and basically had everyone buy the book on Amazon. We reached number one in crime fiction and number 45 overall in books on Amazon. And basically that's what it took to get the agents interested. The next morning I had an email from an agent and we were submitting the book to editors later that week.
0: Wow. Was that a, an agent that you had already had a conversation with and that, that knew about the fact that it was going to be the Palm Sunday promo?
1: Yeah, basically it's funny. I mean, he... Represents Scott Sigler, and so you would think that he would know what was going on with podcast. Tim and he had read the first chapter and then gotten the full manuscript of Jack wakes up, uh, but you know, I mean, it goes back to the slush piles. Like he hadn't had a chance to really read it, he hadn't looked at the whole thing, and I had emailed him and said what was what was going to happen on Palm Sunday and that we were going to do the Amazon rush and all of this. And literally, these guys are so inundated with emails and submissions constantly that he didn't even get a chance to read that email
2: until <laughs> after
1: he saw what had happened on Amazon. And at the point where I first met him, when I when he was already representing me, he said, you know, I, I checked my email inbox today to see what I had heard from you. And you told me like three months before you actually did this Amazon rush exactly what you were going to do and then did it. And I never even got to read that email. So it shows you a little bit about sort of the back end inefficiency of how things work with agents. Way too many submissions come in for them to really give them do them justice. And so, you know, going out and finding an audience myself, it was a numbers game, you know? It's, it takes a lot of work to submit your book to fifteen agents, but if you can submit your book to if you can get your book out there as a podcast to five thousand listeners, not only are you going to have a much better chance of having a lot of people like it, but it's easier to put it out to that many people as a podcast. And You know, your agent, the agent success rate is really low. So 15, 1% of 15 is totally zero. So, um, you know, you get your percentages are higher with people when you're giving it out to them for free. And there's people out there who are looking for this content. Once you can turn them into fans and they like your work, then they'll follow you through your career They're They have something invested, they feel like in in, um, your success as an author And as a writer, there's been nothing better for me than knowing that these people are out there wanting my work, whether it was in a workshop or any kind of writing environment. Nothing really clicked for me as much as it did once I started having an audience that I knew wanted my work.
0: Stay tuned and we'll have more of our interview right after this.
2: like to write? Or have you always wanted to write, but decided that your job, your house, your family, your pets, your political affiliations, your volunteer work, your hobbies, your church, and that ache in your pinky you get on days ending in Y slow you down. Many professional writers have families. Many professional writers keep their day job. Many professional writers live their lives just like we do. Only they write, too like you should be doing. I Should Be Writing is the award-winning podcast that explores issues wannabe writers come up against every day, everything from characterization to just the difficulty in getting on a writing schedule. And because I, your host, am a writer who's still learning, we do a rundown of my progress as well. This is not a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do type of show. I'm there in the trenches with you. Visit I should be to subscribe to this free podcast and download past episodes because you should be writing.
0: Sure, sure. Um, I'm curious. You, you've talked about your success with getting Jack Wakes Up published in, in a tr- from a traditional publisher. And then there have also been other success stories, such as J.C. Hutchins and Scott Sickler. I'm curious if you think that the novelty of original audio books will fade over time, or do you think we'll see more and more aspiring writers turning to turning their books into audio podcasts?
1: Well, a year or two ago, Scott and I were talking about this and saying, you know, it's only a matter of time before this blows up and everyone starts doing it. And now two years later, there's still not that many people doing it. I mean, there's the number of books on patiobooks.com keeps increasing and increasing, but there's not a huge number of people who are still doing it. I think, you know, as the technology evolves, people will start podcasting. There's a big taboo in New York City still about giving things away for free as books. I mean, they see what we've done and they know that it works, but they're still afraid to give away a book for free as an audio podcast. And so that kind of thinking keeps a lot of people in New York traditional publishing from wanting to do podcasts. Even though they know that the number of different ways they can buy advertising is shrinking and the ways that they can buy advertising are increasingly becoming ineffective, they see us doing this thing that is free, basically to put out, and um, is effective, but they're they're just afraid of the concept of free. They're afraid that things are going to run wild and it's going to destroy the industry. So that kind of hampers it a little bit. And... Um, You know, even though Scott and I are going out and teaching the author boot camp class and we're showing more people how to do this, part of the technology still puts people off. Also, there's a core group of people who really get podcasts and want to listen to podcasts. Those are a great audience, and I really love, you know, exposing my work to them. There's also a lot of people out there who don't understand podcasts and are probably never going to listen to podcasts, but there are evolving ways that people are getting new technology. People are buying The Kindle from Amazon a little bit. People are buying iPhones a lot more, and people are looking to buy books as iPhone apps now. People are buying books on the Kindle store and reading them through their iPhone. The technology is going out there, and so I think there's going to be more writers podcasting, but there's also going to be more writers trying out other ways of getting their content out there for free, or for cheaper methods than traditional publishing has given them.
0: Sure, sure. Don't, don't you find that interesting about podcasts and, and their, their popularity and, and how in some ways they, in my opinion, they've kind of plateaued and, and it's interesting and I'll just give you a personal experience. Um, I listen to tons of music. I've always been a passionate music fan. But over the last two and a half to three years since I discovered podcasts, my music listening has pretty much plunged in the car because I'm always listening to a podcast, whether it's um, whether it's listening to a, a patio book or listening to uh fresh air from npr that's now podcast and, and a lot of other smaller podcasts that are not traditionally broadcast and it's kind of interesting because i kept telling my wife i was like wow you know i'm i'm not listening to as much music i'm listening to so many podcasts and she had never really listened to podcasts until the past presidential election and she started listening to to rachel maddow and um keith elberman and several others and now the same thing has happened to her she rarely listens to music and she's always listening to podcasts and and it's just it's just interesting how i continue to talk about podcasts with with various people in my day-to-day life and they either have never heard of it or they think that the technology is too daunting or there's the the common misperception that you have to have an iPod to listen to it
1: yeah and the funny thing is that so many people have iPods and iPhones now and they still don't get it for whatever reason. Um, you know, I'm working on constantly working on other ways to grow that audience and to make my podcast more accessible. Basically, also, you have to look at it, though, and say, you know, if NPR is trying to get people to listen to their podcasts and ESPN is and um, CNN or CNBC or HBO, if all these guys are putting out podcasts... And trying to expand the understanding of podcasts out there in the world. There's no way that I can do as much as they can do. So I sort of look at them trying to lead it and hope that as they keep creating podcast listeners, I'll be able to put my stuff out to more and more of them. But yeah, I mean there is – somehow there is sort of a – a barrier to entry for podcasting whether it's misconception or the technology aspect of it
0: yeah it's, that, it's, that
1: does put some people off and it's not even that hard but there's something about it that people just don't get it's been interesting for me as a podcast author you know pretty early on i kind of gave up on the idea of any of my friends listening to the podcast just cuz no one knew what it was or was going to do it and when I was surprised and found out that they were totally replaced by people who I didn't know, well, to get real fans out there, and that that was one of the wonderful things that happened.
0: Sure, I I, I agree, and, and it's interesting too. I mean, I, I'm continually amazed by podcasting because it's very similar to to the web as the whole, as a whole, or, or blogs. If you have any interest whatsoever, you can find a podcast out there. I mean, I I heard, I heard about one the other day about some guy who's just interested in the Negro baseball leagues and he does an amazing historical baseball podcast. Um, And, and it's just amazing to me, the rich content that's out there. And a lot of times it's not the ESPNs of the world or the NPR it's people basically sitting at their kitchen table doing something that they that they love and i think it comes across
1: oh absolutely it's great and it's like on demand really i mean we're in a place now where you don't have to just listen to whatever comes on npr while you're driving that was what got me always was that i know npr has interesting shows but whenever i'm in the car it tends to be some random thing that i'm not that interested in so you know the podcast choice is to be able to just pick whatever you want, download it, get it on your iPhone or iPod, and then you know, constantly be able to just pick exactly what you want to listen to. I love that.
0: I, I know. I agree. Um, I, I wanted to go back for a minute. You were talking about the whole concept of free content and how that makes traditional book publishing in New York nervous and i know there's been tons of discussion in the media lately about the rise in ebooks and obviously the the various versions of the kindle that we have coming out um and now the the rise of social media as well and 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 how authors are using social media to market their books whether it's facebook twitter uh the audio podcast that you're doing and blogs and I'm just wondering if you've if you've ever sat and thought about if you looked out five or ten years, where where do you think book publishing is headed?
1: Um, I think it's I think it's a bit of a problem to be honest with you. I think uh, things are going to change, and I think it's hard to say what's going to come out the other end. I mean, I think you know the newspaper industry we can see right now is in flux, and a lot of newspapers are are folding. Some of them are losing a lot of money. Some of them aren't able to sustain that, and they're going under. We're seeing historic numbers of newspapers close and less and less newspapers in this country. Absolutely, as a democracy and as a country, we need real reporting. We need people to do investigative reporting and to comment on what's going on and document what's going on. As the newspapers collapse, less and less of these people are having paying will have paying jobs, and yet, as a society, we need this. So we're going to have to get to another model where reporters are paid for their reporting. Um, and I don't know what's that. what that's going to be. I think the newspaper industry is a little bit further than the publishing industry in terms of what's going on there. Um, and one of the things that the publishing industry looks at the newspaper industry as – what, something that they did wrong was to say, you know, well, if the newspaper industry started – when the newspaper industry started putting out their content for free, that's what killed the golden goose or something like that. And so um, the publishing industry is trying to maintain the price level for their books as they go into eBooks. books um, You know, the Kindle prices things a little bit lower than traditional books do, but – I've heard from people inside publishing that, that the goal there is really to keep that $15 price point for paperbacks going or the $25 price point as we move into e-books. And I just don't think people in the reading public are going to accept that. I think there's going to be a big clash there where ultimately the pricing has to come down. And the reality of the publishing industry is that only 10% of the cost of a book actually goes into the the creation of the book, the the publishing and the paper and stuff like that. So if you're looking at a system where uh, your $15 book only costs $1.50 to produce in paper and now you're putting it out without that paper and the public is going to demand a price much lower than $1,350, there's going to be something that's going to have to fall away. I mean, we're talking about these huge corporations that have layers and layers of people working there and layers and layers of infrastructure, and I just see that there's going to be a problem there down the road. I think the first thing that's going to happen is that when the prices come down for eBooks, books uh, the publishing industry is going to look to cut. It's, I mean, it's so ironic that the, the industry really runs because of authors and the work that the authors do and the books that they create, but I've heard from a lot of sources that you know the first cost-cutting measure that publishers are looking at is cutting advances for books. And maybe that works out okay in the long run for authors because we get that same money back through royalties. But for debut authors, without that advance, it's hard to really keep going. Um, So I think that's going to happen is that we're going to lose advances in the short term. And in the long term, something's going to happen where publishing is going to come out the other end. I don't think we'll ever see the end of print books But I think we're going to see the proliferation of more and more different platforms. And I was writing about this on the Open Culture blog last week. I think my job as a writer is to help – is to work to get my writing onto as many different platforms as possible. So if there's a platform out there, say iPhone apps as books, people are going to be discovering books that way. I want to get my book into that marketplace so that those readers – will have my book an option. Um, and so that becomes part of my job, making sure that I can get it into the iPhone app store, making sure that I can get it onto Kindle, making sure that I can get it onto Scribd. If people are listening to audiobooks, I want to be in the iTunes audiobook store. I want to be in Barnes & Noble in the audiobook section. You know, All these different places where books are being bought, as an author, um, I have some control over where I can be and and some control I don't have you know my book isn't mass-market so it's not being sold at Walmart you want to get your book into as as many places as possible so that as many people can see it um it's kind of hard I mean to be honest with you we have a little bit more writers who aren't with a major publisher have a little bit more flexibility to do that If, if Barnes and if Random House didn't have the rights to Jack wakes up I could put it out as an iPhone app in a month and people would be able to buy it on there or get parts of it free and read it on their iPhone. But with Random House, I can't do that now. So we're working on having them help out to do that. And it's a slow process.
0: Yes, I, I hear you. And I, I actually happen to, to completely agree with you in terms of the price point. And it's something that I've blogged about on on my own blog. And I'll include some links in the show notes uh, about the price point, because I I agree. I don't think that the reading audience is going to accept a twenty five dollar price point for a hardcover if they're getting it in an electronic format, because anyone knows that to sh- to to share and and distribute an electronic format of a book does not warrant twenty five dollars.
1: Right. But you know,
0: and and. Uh, and unfortunately, I think that, as you said, the infrastructure. I, I think that traditionally, book publishing in the U.S. has been centered in New York City, and it, it it's sad, but I think that eventually that will end because I think that part of the infrastructure costs built into book publishing is the the you know New York real estate and having a New York office. I mean that you know someone has to pay for that. That's a good
1: point. I yeah, it's. I don't know, like I said, I think there's going to be a lot of changes in the next 5 years and huge changes in the next 10 years and we're going to see things changing and evolving and we already are seeing it a little bit and um you know, print on demand technology is there. There's just a ton of different options for how things could go and we're going to see changes. And I think you know, we can look to the Definitely. newspaper industry and the music industry for letting us know what's going to happen ahead of us.
0: Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Um, well, setting aside all the discussion of social media and the future of book publishing, I did want to take a couple of minutes and just ask you about your your own interest in, in writing. And I wonder, you know, when you originally got interested in writing, what, what, was, what was some of your early efforts and what kind of got you interested? We got to
1: talk about the book too. We got to talk about Jack Wakes Up. Exactly. Jack Palms, a one-hit movie wonder, knee-deep in a Bay Area drug war.
0: So why don't, why don't you give us a, a, a small taste of Jack Wakes Up? So
1: uh, Jack Wakes Up is about Jack Palms, a one-hit wonder movie actor in L.A. who burns out on a bad marriage and some drug addiction. Two years later, we meet him. He's cleaned up. And he's looking for a way to make money, and he finds this friend from L.A. who wants him to come in on a drug deal. Probably not the best decision, but Jack goes in on it. And what happens after that involves the police, ex-KGB agents, underground mafioso in San Francisco, Colombian drug dealers, and Jack Palms caught in the middle of it, trying to come up with basically the acting performance of a lifetime to get him through this alive. Great. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's and like I've, it's like an action movie between two covers.
0: It is. And you can check out the patio book as we've been discussing at jackwakesup.com or you can buy the book at your local bookstore. It's at Barnes and and & Noble, Borders, Amazon or your favorite independent store. Absolutely. Or your favorite independent bookstore. Absolutely. And so, it's published by Three Rivers. So when Quir- did you first- oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> No, go It's ahead. published go by ahead.
1: Three Rivers Press, which is part of Random House, and and they've been great, wonderful overall. And you can also get the book uh, at SethHarwood.com. You can get the podcast at iTunes. There's three Jack Palms books, actually, that I've put out together on my website, SethHarwood.com.
0: So check them out. So going back to my question, when did you first get
1: interested in writing? Um, after college, I started to get interested in writing. And you know, I think one of the interesting things that happens for a writer is that the more you read and think as a writer, the more influences you bring into your material. And so where I started out at first, I was pretty limited in terms of influences to like the beat writers, uh, Jack Kerouac and and William Faulkner and guys like that and Virginia Woolf. So I, like the first things that I wrote were these crazy moshes of modernism and sort of on-the-road drug experience, and they were terrible. And I sort mm-hmm. of wrote and wrote and read and read and got better. I went through a really long phase where I was really focused on reading short stories and writing short stories. Great writers like Raymond Carver, sure. Ernest Hemingway, Dennis Johnson, Flannery O'Connor. I think being able to just focus on the short story helped me learn a lot as a writer because I was able to work on that I could sit middle and end of And move through them and finish them and move on to create a new piece. So so learning how to finish pieces is something that I really learned there. And um, also learning how to use dialogue and stuff like that. Um, So I worked on short stories for a long time. I went to the writer's workshop at Iowa and worked on short stories there. And then, you know, I had been reading a lot of short stories, a lot of literary novels. And I reached a point where I realized that that the influences that I was going to bring into my writing didn't have to only be these literary things that didn't sell too well and could potentially lead me to some sort of MFA creative writing job somewhere. Um, I realized that I really loved TV shows like The Sopranos and The Wire and Dexter, um, reading novels, watching movies like James Bond and Kung Fu movies and Pulp Fiction and the other Tarantino movies, Scarface. Uh, I You know, I've always loved these things, and so at a certain point, I realized, you know, I'm going to try bringing this other, these other parts of my personality and my other interests into the writing, and when I did that, sure. I gave myself permission to start writing noir and a- stuff with action and guns and things going down, and, you know, it was great to bring the tools that I had learned through the other things, and when I started allowing myself to move away from just strictly trying to do literary stuff, it felt great to actually get to have a little bit of fun on the page. Sure. Did that feel
0: freeing to you?
1: Yeah, it did. It did. You know, it, it, it helped me go from the place where I wanted to write X number of words every day or, or write for two hours every morning to a place where I was just excited about the book that I was writing. And I knew... Part of the problem with my literary books was that I my literary novels that I was trying to write was that I never really knew what to write them about. I would just start writing them and exploring the characters. And when I started writing Jack Wakes Up, it helped me really just start to explore the events and the actions. And that really helped things move a lot faster on the page and in the writing experience as well.
0: Sure, sure. What crime authors are you reading now? And uh, Actually, enjoying? I just
1: got to teach a detective fiction class um, at City College, San Francisco, where I teach. And so it was cool to take some students through some of the historic writers of the 20th century. We started with Chandler and Hammett. I think Raymond Chandler is absolutely one of my favorites. Um, the Long Goodbye is one mm-hmm. of my favorite books of all time. I think it's like the crime version of The Great Gatsby. Uh, Hammett of course as well Jim Thompson's work I really love Um, Lawrence Block I'm really enjoying now I'm getting into Richard Price whose stuff is amazing especially if you've seen The Wire it's amazing to go back and read a book like Clockers and and realize The Wire 10 years before they even did The Wire Um, Megan Abbott's Mm -hmm. work I love Uh, she's very contemporary and really does some interesting things with going back to Uh, the traditions of, of of Jim Thompson and writers like that. Um, Dennis Johnson. Sure. Yeah.
0: Great. So what advice would you give aspiring writers um, in terms of someone who's wanting to write? What would you tell them if you could give them two minutes of advice?
1: Well, the first thing is to make sure you put your chops in. You got to, Really work to get the writing good. Before you can get it out there or put it out there, you have to work on the writing, finish things, make sure they're good. I think reading short stories was really helpful to me, but it's not for everyone. you got to follow the stuff that you love to read. Whatever you like to read, read more of it, and every book that you read will lead you on to another book that you want to read, or you hear about other books that you want to read. Spend as much time reading as you can. you got to grow that sort of circle of influences that you have, so that you go from being just a writer who's writing like Raymond Carver, say, or Raymond Chandler, whoever the first writer is that really gets hardwired into your brain, to where you've got all these different authors that you've read and loved hardwired into your brain. And your and your writing style becomes sort of a big enough amalgamation of different authors that no one can just put their finger on it and say, this person is doing this person. So um, you want to do that. And then... In terms of getting your work out there, you got to be open to new ways of publicizing your work. Put it out there. Don't be afraid to put your stuff out there for free. I see way too many authors blogging about writing and doing blog entries that really just appeal to writers. Readers out there want your content. You're working your hardest on your actual fiction, not what you think about fiction or the publishing world. So let them see your fiction, whether you put it out on your website or out there on the world. For free as text or as audio in a podcast. Personally, I thought that the audio worked really well for me. Some people the text is going to work better for and people have had success with that. Put your work out there and let other people see it. As Cory Doctorow says, your enemy is not piracy but obscurity. If people don't know you, that's the problem. You want to get people to know you and your work.
0: Great. That's that's great advice, especially, you know, as we've talked about the, the way that book publishing is changing. So it's something that aspiring writers should definitely think about and figure out what works for them. Um, so as we wrap mm. up, what, what are you working on now? Do you have a novel in the works? Uh, well, at
1: this point, I've written three Jack Palms novels and podcast them. And I've written a prequel called Young Junius, which is about one of the minor characters from Jack Wakes Up. I just finished podcasting that in May and now I'm working on a Jack Palms short story and I'm getting ready to really start some heavy revision on Jack Palms 2 so that I can start submitting it to editors and show it to my agent and my editor at Random House uh, later on this summer. And I'm touring to read Jack Wakes Up and get the word out about that.
0: Great. Cool. Have you had any good tour experiences?
1: Yeah, it was wonderful. I read in New York City. I just got back from reading in New York City and Boston. I read all around the Bay Area, San Diego. Next weekend, I'm going to Phoenix and Houston. Um, It's been really amazing. And one of the really cool things about social networking for me has been, you know, it's interesting to meet the podcast listeners and the fans out there through social networking and Facebook and stuff like that. But another Wonderful thing about it has been getting to go to places like New York and Boston and having people that I haven't gotten in touch with, people that I haven't connected with in 10 or 15 years, people that I was friends with in college and middle school and even high school a little bit come out to these readings and I get to see them after I haven't seen them in so long. It's really been wonderful to reconnect with those people. You know, it's amazing for me to be able to read at the Harvard Coupe and read at a bookstore that I've gone to all my life. But it's also just, you know, fantastic to see these friends from college that I just drifted apart from over the years because we were in different places and, and, and realize that we're still friends. It's wonderful.
0: That's great. That's great. Mm. So again, if you, cool. if you, if you want to remind people where they can find you online and, and we'll just wrap this up.
1: They can find me at SethHarwood.com or JackWakesUp.com. It's the same website. I'm on iTunes, Twitter, Facebook. Find me on there and start listening to Jack Wakes Up. You can get the first three chapters of the novel for free on my website as a PDF and read those. Um, You can get the entire book for free as a podcast with me reading it and the second and third books in the series. Listen to them. You guys, anyone who's listening to this is already into podcasts, so come on over and check out the Jack Wakes Up podcast. Buy the book in your local bookstore. Great. Thanks a lot, Seth. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. It's been great.
0: Thanks for listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to our feed in iTunes, or you can leave a review of this podcast on iTunes. And if you'd like to leave a voicemail, we can include your audio comment in a future episode of the podcast. The voicemail line is 206 Again, that's 206-888-2731. Thanks again for listening, and we will be back in two weeks with another interview with a writer that you enjoy reading. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger